Hey guys, Joe Wolverton, Teacher of Liberty, back again with you today. And I want to say thank you. That last episode, um, the one that you know that I actually read to you from Cato's uh, letters, it went really well. Y'all responded really well to that, and I am grateful to that for that. I'm grateful for the comments. Um, one comment I want to talk about at the jump is um, uh, Heidi Gregerson said, um, you know, the, I always say like the bracelets that I have, right? Um, there is no liberty without virtue. But she made a point and something I've said, I've taught elsewhere is there is no virtue without liberty, right? The thing you do can't be counted to you for good unless you're free to choose to do bad, right? You don't get, you can't be forcibly charitable, for example, right? You can't do that. You can't be forcibly charitable. You can't say I did good if you had no choice to do bad, right? So there is no liberty without virtue. And I'm going to have a whole, I think my next episode's about that. But there's also no virtue without liberty. It's not virtuous to do good if you didn't choose, if you didn't freely choose good over evil. Do you understand? So that I appreciate Heidi making that point for me. So before I go rambling on, we're getting awful close to a thousand, by the way. Um, I don't know, about 800, 790 something. So if we get that thousand, that library of liberty, you know, it's not, I'm not giving away all of this. And I've got what four more library shelves in the other room. Um, I'm not giving away that. I'm giving away a small library of liberty. I don't know how many books it is, maybe 10-ish, something like that. Maybe a couple more, I don't know. But anyway, I'll be giving that away. When we reach 1,000, as soon as we get 1,000, I will randomly honestly randomly choose and I'll maybe I'll do it you know like lot not live but I'll record it or I could do it live actually that'd be pretty cool to do a live and have it be like and just see who it lands on and then that person can email me and be like Joey I won because you got to be present in the live to win oh snap see how I just did that I made it where you've got to tune in live to be I don't know. I don't know if you, you know what I'm saying? I like being live because I like being able to respond to questions. I don't know if you can even do that on YouTube. Maybe I'll do it like on Instagram live. I have a lot more fun. TikTok live. I have 70 something thousand followers on TikTok. Man, why can't just like one, you know, 1% of those come follow me over here? That'd be lovely. Maybe they have, you know, I don't know. All right. So today, guys. We are going, I'm going to be talking to you about the Second Punic War. Now, the Punic Wars, Carthage versus Rome. Okay, Carthage is in North Africa versus Rome. Um, now, we call, we call it the Punic Wars because Carthage was settled by the Phoenicians, and that was, that was called Punicus, right? So Punicus equals Carthage, thus Punic Wars equals war with Carthage. And since Rome was Rome, they get to name the wars. I'm, I'm sure if you went to Carthage, they would have been like, it's the second Roman War or something, you know, even if they even mention it. 
because you know how it is if you lose let's not talk a lot about that one <laughs> or let's talk too much about it to where we make it so familiar nobody really cares about it it's too common so punic wars we talk about the second one which means obviously what boys and girls yes there was a first one so the first punic war happened about 20 years before the second punic war and guys let me just tell you stay tuned to the end I'm giving you a story, and I think stories are important. I think stories are an important way to tell, to relate history. But this story, if you don't remain to the end, is is not going to be very powerful. But you have to have the whole story to have the end of the story be as impactful as it is. If I just said, I'm going to tell you about and then just tell the end of the story... You'd be like, well, yeah, it's wonderful, but how did we get there? And remember, this podcast, guys, it is a history podcast. It's, you know, educational. I hope it's, uh, what do they call it? Edutainment. I hope it's entertaining. Um, I could juggle. If you find that it's not being entertaining, let me know, and I'll put on plays with the bobbleheads, and I'll juggle. I don't know what I'll juggle. Yeah, I don't know. I could juggle something, but anyway. The point is that these stories aren't just stories. Do you remember how I told you about Plutarch? And he says, you know, I started, Plutarch wrote Parallel Lives of the, you know, Greeks and Romans. And he's like, I started writing these just as, you know, for other people to become familiar with these heroes and villains. And he says, I soon discovered that I was writing these for me. He says, so I could hold them up as a mirror and see what I was doing right and what I was doing wrong. And these stories that I relate to, in fact, this entire podcast, the purpose is to take these stories, most of which are never taught anymore or taught in such a superficial, obligatory way that they, they're meaningless, Right? I mean, today, talking about the Second Punic War, uh, first of all, no one's going to know that name, usually. And if they do, they'll, oh, that's the one with Hannibal and the elephants. Right, what happened? Well, Hannibal had elephants. Yeah, what what they do? Oh, they crossed the Alps. Okay, and for why? Why was that? Hannibal, uh, the ele- but the elephants crossed the mountains. You know, it's like... Okay, I get that that's how school is run. It's like, what is the most notable thing about Hannibal's march to Rome? And you're meant to go, elephants. And your teacher will go, well, I wanted you to say he used elephants and crossed them across the Alps, but I'll give you credit because all of our education is outcome-based. Move them along so they may get the piece of paper so that our school district may continue to get the money. Yay, everybody wins except education. So, anywho, these stories, we need to liken them unto ourselves so that they might be for our profit and learning. Because otherwise, I guess it's a fun way to pass some time, you know. It's not painful, and sometimes the stories are really cool, and, you know, I'm really, really good-looking, and that helps, you know. I'm just teasing. I'm, 
I'm only really good. Like, like really, really, come on. I'm just really, it's the chocolate eyes and the, you know, boyish charm. I get it. Everyone, I'm just teasing. Gosh, I'm, some of you don't know me and you're like, this dude, what the heck? No one told him he's bald. Oh, I know. Okay. All right. So the second Punic War, which was Rome versus Punicus. <laughs> I just like saying Punicus. I don't know why. Is that like, I don't know. I don't know why. But I wish it was, to, I wish we could just say, you know, Hannibal fought for Punicus, which would make him sound less, I don't know, I don't know. Because then Cato would have said, Punic Delinda, it doesn't matter, Joey, shut up and tell the leading story. All right. Rome was getting more and more powerful. Carthage did not like the competition, you know, the Mediterranean. If this was some sort of professional podcast, you know, I'd have some screen and you would see like a map of the Mediterranean. I'd be like, blurred Carthage. Hmm. Carthage didn't like that Rome, remember, because Rome started out kind of a, you know, backward, you know, kind of a backward little town, little backwater town filled with criminals and, you know, kidnapped women. If you recall all those stories. But anywho, maybe I haven't told that story on here yet. I don't know. Who knows what I've told on here, man? I get on here. It's literally like someone just flips on the camera and this is actually who I am. This isn't, um, I'm not acting this way. I think that's what my students, they used to think, is this dude, what's his story? And then they just figured out, there's no story. That's just how bizarre he is. But at least he doesn't give us homework. So just lay back and chill and do whatever. So. Carthage didn't, hmm, almost spit out me, uh, what do you call it? Cough drop. Carthage didn't like the competition, and there was a brilliant Carthaginian general named Hamilcar Barca. Hamilcar Barca. He decides, I'm going to take a shot at Rome. <laughs> but he failed. There was no consolation prize uh, as punishment. Rome imposed very harsh terms of surrender on Carthage. Most importantly, Carthage was forced in the terms of surrender to give up all its Mediterranean holdings, its islands that it controlled, to Rome, pretty much extinguishing any chance Carthage ever had of expanding east, right? It's like, no. All your bases are belong to us, basically, is how that went down. Early 2000 reference. So, all your bases all belong to us, said Rome to Hamilcar Barca, the awesome general. He was. I'm telling you, you read about him, and I'm not going to spoil it, but you read about Hamilcar Barca in, in Polybius, for example. These, these dudes got, he was really brilliant, but he lost. I mean, it is Rome, after all. He lost. And they impose harsh penalties. And so Carthage is left. If we want to expand, we've got to expand west rather than east because Rome. All right. So Hamilcar decided, hey, do you know what's just across there? That, do you know what's right there? What? Spain. What? Spain. That, that place over there. I can see it from me front porch, just like Alaska and Russia. I'm a little ashamed of that reference, sorry. Anywho, so Hamilcar says, 
we can go to Spain. We can take off through Spain, maybe get us some France while we're at, you know, Gaul while we're at it, maybe some Germania, right? Let's just get some of these places, right? And Hamilcar figured that in doing this, he would eventually, going up through Spain and Fran uh, France and Germany, he would eventually be strong enough to conquer Rome. That was, I mean, that's his dream. I mean, like he's obsessed with it, right? He is obsessed with conquering Rome. And so he does. He's, he goes to the Carthage Senate and says, Oi, let's, let's take this business west, right? Go west, young man. Only he wasn't young. But go west, Hamilcar. And so they did. Now, as he was about to go to Spain, Han Hannibal, or excuse me, Hamilcar, he had three sons, called him his three little lion cubs. He takes one of them, uh, Hannibal, the, the renowned Hannibal, General Hannibal. He takes Hannibal to the temple with him to sacrifice a bull in, to the gods in asking them for protection, for victory in Spain. Now, I don't know if you know a lot about sacrificing in, in, the, in antiquity, but it was a bloody mess. I mean, it's not like it, you know, it's not like I thought you thought it was, you know, surgically, you know, very sort of antiseptic or anything. I, I mean, I know you know that, but it was bloody, particularly so in that they would use the blood and pour it all over the altar and whatnot. So Hamilcar is sacrificing this bull as an offering to the gods, and there on the altar, nine-year-old Hannibal, nine-year-old, nine-year-old, not nine, nine, say when, nine, nine. Do you know, it's funny, in Spain, or, yeah, Spain, Mexico, they don't do, you know how we do height like this? Yeah, they don't do it like that. They do it like this with a finger. Anyway, the nine-year-old Hannibal, he goes up to the altar where his dad is sacrificing the bull and there's blood everywhere. And he puts his little hands on the blood-soaked altar. And Polybius reports that he says, now, nine-year-old, but remember, nine-year-olds nine back then had already, you know, received a good amount of education and could actually read and, you know, knew their ABCs. And little nine-year-old Hannibal walks up to the altar, puts his hands on the blood-soaked altar, and says, according to Polybius, I swear that as soon as I'm old enough, I'm going to be Rome's deadliest enemy. Now, that's nine years old. And then, says Polybius, he stomped his feet, right, little nine-year-old, stomping his feet and said, I will not stop punishing Rome until either Carthage or Rome is reduced to dust just like the dust that's blown up around my feet. Now, that's a lot for a nine-year-old to say, but I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because I've read the commonplace books of nine-year-old founding fathers, you know, and they're stuff that 19-year-olds today would be like, What's that word mean? You know, seriously, right? So I'm going to give Han Hannibal the benefit of the doubt that he 
places his little hand on the altar and says, I'm going to be Rome's deadliest enemy, and stomps his feet and says, either Carthage or Rome is reduced to dust before I'm through. So Hannibal was born, by the way, about 247 BC, just to give you a little a little background on, on, you know, to kind of put it in your chronology of your mind, 247 BC. Now, Hannibal means Baal be merciful to me. Baal was one of the gods they worshipped, and he was thun- he, he was a, a thunder god, right? A thunder god. And he was the god to whom Hannibal would make sacrifices the rest of his life. But now, interesting, Hannibal, so Hannibal's first name is the thunder god, Baal, right? Baal be merciful. His last name, Barca, means lightning bolt. So Hannibal Barca, which was his total name, no one ever says that, but Hannibal Barca is like, Thunder and lightning, right? Donner and Blitzen. <sighs> yes, that's true. Hannibal Barca means thunder and lightning, and so does Donner and Blitzen. But we move along. So, that was Polybius History, by the way, book three, if you want to read all that. Now, Hamilcar and Hannibal and the Carthaginian army land in Spain at 236 BC and set up a colony called, I don't know, what do you think they'd call it? Yep, not being clever, they call it, what What do you think we ought to call it? Let's call it after you, Hamilcar. No, Hamilcar, I've never liked that name. My middle name's Arnold. I kind of wanted everybody to call me Arnold, but Hamilcar stuck. What do you think, Hannibal? Well, I'm only little, what, but what do you think? I don't know. Um, Hannibal. Bit conceited for a nine-year-old. P.S. Go wash your hands. What shall we call it? I don't know. Um, Springfield? No, there's too many of those already. So, yes, you in the back. Can we call it New Carthage? New, I like the way that sounds. New Carthage. Done. From now on, this is new Carthage, not old. That's old Carthage. This is new Carthage. Now, the funny thing about that new Carthage in Spain, still called that. Only today in Spain, it's called Cartagena. If you go to Spain, you can still see the ruins of the new Carthage built by the Carthaginians under Hamilcar Barca. Cartagena, Spain. Go, look it, check it out, do your thing. Google Earth, put in Cartagena. Google Earth, wanna see the ruins. Does anyone ever get cringe? Do you, is that cringy? Like, you're like, oh man, I wish you wouldn't do that. Because I do it in my head, I just let it out, and I'm, I'm just hoping that it doesn't make people go, oof. oof. Cartagena, Spain. So New Carthage. Now they wouldn't have said New Carthage. They would just said Carthage because it's obviously not Old Carthage because Old Carthage was in, you know, Carthage was in Africa, Northern Africa. This is Carthage in Spain. And so Cartagena, Spain, still there and still called Carthage. Um, now Polybius tells us that Hamilcar was able to bring the native Spanish tribes under his power either by diplomacy or force of arms. Now, 
diplomacy he tried first, and if that didn't work, beat them into submission, right? So try talking them out of, you know, liberty. And if we can't talk them out of liberty, let's make them afraid of trying to be free. Nine years later, Hamilcar dies in battle. How can I say goodbye? Hamilcar dies in battle, and after being... Then his brother-in-law, his son-in-law, sorry. It's Hamilcar's son-in-law, Hannibal's brother-in-law. Hamilcar's son-in-law, Hasdrubal, which... Ah, that's on his mom. Let's be honest. That's on his mama. What do you want to call him? Hasdrubal. Come on now. Come on. Come on. Anyway, Hasdrubal, he becomes the leader for about seven years until Hannibal is 26 years old and takes over. So Hannibal, 26 years old, he's now in Spain, in Cartagena, in Carthage, Spain, New Carthage, whatever you want to call it. Springfield, he is in charge and he remembered his oath. At this point, 26 years old, Hannibal's like, mm, I got this. Rome, you're mine. And so in his deal, he's like, in his mind, he's like, I'm going to leave Spain. I'm going to go. I'm going to get me some Rome. I'm going to conquer it, right? I'm going to rename it New New Carthage, right? What if that was true? Instead of Rome today, it was called, because of Rome Romulus, it was called. Hannibal. I don't know how you do it. Never mind. So he decides this plan. I want to invade Rome. Now, here's the thing. If you had a map, if this was a professional podcast, you'd see a map and you'd say, and I would say to you, what's the easiest way to get to Rome from Spain? And you would say, well, der, the Mediterranean, right? Yes, and that's the way anybody with brains would do it. But that's also the way people expected Rome to be attacked is through the Mediterranean, right? Island hopping or bring your ships down, you know, really like that. A, a naval attack or a naval attack and then land somewhere in the, on the peninsula and then march toward Rome, you see. That's traditional. It's like it's like on Princess Bride when he's like, mm, which poison, you know, where he's putting poison in the cup. Oh, but you'd think I'd do that. So it's kind of like that. You'd expect people to attack, and they had attacked across the ocean, across the sea, the Mediterranean Sea. But Hannibal's like, my lord, I have a cunning plan. What is that plan, Hannibal? And he's like, I'm going to go over the Alps. Mm, I think there's a reason no one's done that, mate. Have you had a look at the Alps? Yes, I've seen them on a globe. He's like, well, they're they're pointy. Yes, so. Well, did you notice how the globe maker painted them white at the top? Yes. Well, do you know what that stands for? <laughs> yes, of course I do. It stands for for flour. There's lots of flour. They make biscuits in the Alps. They're famous Alpine biscuits. No, that's snow, man. Snow. What is this snow you speak of? Informa. Nope, not that snow. A different kind of snow. So Hannibal's like, 
who cares? Now, Hannibal, he knew what snow, I mean, I don't think he ever had personal experience with snow, but he knew what snow was, and he knew the stories that you don't go that way. You don't go over the Alps because lots of reasons. First of all, they're really high. Second of all, they're, you know, they're glacier. They're they're snowy, icy year-round at the top. You can't just, you know, mm, I'm going to wait till July. Fine, that's fine going up to a certain height, but at the top, it's going to be freezing. Plus, who knows who lives up there? What animals live up there? You know, they don't have experience up there. But he's like, I'm going to do it. So he makes his way along the coast of southern Spain, and he gets to a town which is called Saguntum, which to this day is called Sagunto, Spain. You can literally go to the, you know, what I'm, isn't that crazy? Go to Sagunto, knock yourself out. Don't, don't invade Rome, but maybe you don't know, have like a pretend, you know, like a, maybe a costume party and I want to be Hannibal. No, I want to be Hannibal, whatever. But Sagunto in Spain still called that name, Saguntum. And so he goes to his town named Saguntum. The Roman Senate hears that Hannibal is marching on Saguntum, and he's like, uh, no, no, that's ours, right? I thought we told, didn't we make it clear to these Carthaginians about 20 years ago that no, no makey war against Rome anymore, right? Yeah, but what we did, you see, we made it where they couldn't attack across the Mediterranean because we took all their islands, but this Yehu is in Spain. Yeah, but Spain is a client. That's ours. We we own Spain. Yeah. I mean, we own Saguntum. Yeah. Well, let's send a representative and tell Hannibal that Ixnay on the invasion. A. Mm, invasion, babe? I don't know how you'd do that one. That's a hard With the vowels, it always trips me up. But let's just tell Hannibal not to make war on a city that we own. Hannibal, now, it's, it's, it's interesting, not only did the Roman Senate send a guy to say, oi, Hannibal, no, you don't, you don't want to do that. But Carthage heard, the Senate of Carthage hears that Hannibal is planning on attacking Saguntum. And they're like, that, that doesn't sound smart. That's a Roman town. So they send a representative. So, you know, you've got like these, one from Rome, one from Carthage. You've got to go across the little sea there first. They meet and they both are like, hey, uh, Hannibal, we're going to go ahead and tell you no. It's a no for me, dog, too pitchy. So don't, 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 don't go battling in Saguntum. And Rome's like, if you if you invade if you do anything to Saguntum that's that's going to be a declaration of war against Spain and might want to ask your dad how that oh he's dead I didn't mean that that wasn't me take that wasn't me trying to be snarky I mentioned his dad <laughs> no ask ask your ask your brother-in-law I mean we made a treaty. You can go and look at the treaty. You guys surrendered. There's no making war with us. Sorry. And Handel's like, mm-hmm. 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 Okay. And the representative of the Senate of Carthage is like, I'm going to go ahead and ditto. 
just don't do it, Hannibal. And they're like, all right. Hannibal ignored all of them and destroyed Saguntum. I mean, pancaked that little Pueblo. Pancake. I mean, so pancake we could even say he crept it. Crept. I don't even say that other word. Like, some of you are like, mm-hmm, we've heard you say worse, Joey. It is true. But I do not say something that sounds like clip. I do not say it. But Hannibal destroyed Saguntum so bad, he straight up crept it. Okay? Well, Rome's like, okay, that that was, that's it. You, nope, we told you, we warned you. You do anything to Saguntum, that's a declaration of war. So, traditionally, that, you know, Hannibal taking Saguntum is considered by most historians, and if it's mentioned in a history book, it's like, oh, that's the beginning of the Second Punic War. However, Polybius does not say that that's the beginning of the war. Polybius says you have to actually go back and you have to look at Hannibal's, what does he say, ambition and lust of power. Polybius says, let's not call, a battle doesn't just happen. You know, it's like, kind of like when y'all say, history repeats itself. It, it doesn't repeat itself. Human beings make the same stupid mistakes without learning from history. Um, and so Polybius says, no, Battle of Saguntum, not, not the beginning of the Second Punic War. Hannibal's ambition and lust for power was the beginning of the Second Punic War. Now I ask you, because Sam Adams, right, the British said, oi, Lexington and Concord, y'all started it. And he's like, no, you started the war by deciding to impose unconstitutional taxes, by stripping us of our assemblies, by taking prisoners to London to be tried, right? By forcing us to use the currency you tell us to use. By all of these uncon... You started the war, King and Parliament. You started it, right? So Lexington didn't start the war. Ultimately, it came down to King George and the Parliament started the war. That's why we're not rebel, because rebel means to, in Latin, to start the war again. And Samuel Adams said, no, the British are the rebels. We're the ones upholding the British, the rights of Englishmen. They're the ones violating the rights of Englishmen, so they're the ones starting the war, right? So, Polybius, ambition and lust of power of Hannibal. So Hannibal thought Rome was being pushy by exerting its power. Hannibal was like, this is so far from you, right? What, what possible, you know, so anyway. He, he was being pretty bold for a country that like 20 years before that got crept in. No, that was, Hannibal did that too. But Carthage got crept by, by Rome for sure. And that, I mean, that's bold, but that's Hannibal. Ambition, lust for power, let's get it. You remember, I mean, you got a nine-year-old putting his hands in blood I will be their deadliest enemy, right? I will reduce them to dust. Anyway, Hannibal's like, no, you don't get to say what happens to a town. I don't care if you control it. I don't care whatever. It's thousands of miles from you, so tough. It's mine now, 
right? So he's making this little swath, all with the idea. But the Romans wouldn't even have thought that, you see. They would have just thought, look, you're just flexing because you're a kid. We get it, right? But, you know, go back home, boy, right? And that wasn't it. They didn't put this together yet, that he was, people didn't do it, that he's going to come over the Alps and invade, that they just thought really he's being ambitious and trying to flex and we're going to show him. And so war was on, right? So the Senate of Carthage, well, if Rome's going to declare war, I guess we're declaring war. Is that, that's what we're doing? So all in favor? Okay. Yeah. So. He headed out across the Alps with an army of 100,000 foot soldiers. Now, I want you to think about 100,000 people. That's more than fits in like your average, you know, uh, sports stadium. Plus 20,000 cavalry, cavalry, sorry, cavalry from cavallo, from horse in Latin, cavalry. Sorry, not Calvary is the hill where Jesus was crucified. Cavalry. 20,000 of those. And famously, for anybody who's ever had world history in school, giant air quotes around school, 37 African elephants. Now, do you know how those elephants? Now, this is when I heard this story, I'm like, that is, you know, and I'm little. I think I was in seventh grade or sixth grade. And they're like, and he marched across the Alps with elephants. And I'm like, okay, were they like, were they meant to be ridden? Is that the thing, like, that you ride? Like, it seems stupid, like, ride a horse. No, they had horses, Dumkoff, because I went to school in Germany. That's why they called me Dumkoff. I mean, yes, I, they had horses. The elephants were meant to use, be used as a weapon. Now, here's what they did. When it was time to go to, you know, when they were actually in battle, not get them across the Alps, but when they're down in the valleys and the plains and they're using the elephants as weapons, they would get them drunk, okay? They would get the elephants drunk. And so they'd be literally just like as if a human were drunk. What's going on? I love you. You're my best friend. I don't know. I've never been drunk. I don't know what drunk. I don't know how people that are drunk act, but whatever. So they get the elephants drunk and then they have guys that are in charge of stabbing the elephants in the back of the leg with sharp sticks to get them to run just run right because they're going to run away and elephants are first of all really fast when they're on the move when they're on the gallop you don't want to be anywhere near it right and they're drunk but the problem is elephant doesn't know carthaginian from roman he just knows stomp so they weren't really good animals once the battle got you know the scrum got started they weren't really good right they were only good you send them out first squash those guys as many as you can and then hope the elephants kind of like dispersed and they would they'd have guys in charge of wrangling the elephants and the, then the aren't because if it was just like a bunch of soldiers, there's a squish, squish, squish. All right, so here he comes over the Alps with his 100,000 foot soldiers, 20,000 cavalry, and his 37 African elephants. Rome sends one of the consuls, Publius Cornelius Scipio, famous Scipio, 
There's a town in um, Utah named after Scipio. Crazy, huh? So Scipio, he is told, go and, in, you know, intercept him. Like, last we heard, he's somewhere near the Rhone River in Europe. The Rhone, not the Rhine, the Rhone. Go stop him. So that way they're like, I don't know what dude has in mind if he's crazy enough to come across the Alps. But if he is, go stop him at the Rhone and say, you know what? It's been a delight, but take you and the zoo back to Carthage where we're done pretending with you, boy. Right? Now, guys, I, I hope you have eyes to see and ears to hear. This is a great story, and it's so crazy interesting. And please read it in Livy. Please go read it in Livy. Don't, don't just listen to, you know, Joey's recapturing of it. That's still drinking downstream. I'm, I'm sharing with you these words, but I'm re-encapsulating them. Sh read them in the original. It's a powerful story and lots of stuff that I have to leave out to have these be at like an hour. But my point is, everywhere along the way, if you go to the writings of our founding fathers, if you go to the writings of the men that inspired our founding fathers, Livy, Livy is the man for history and for lessons Okay. They talk about Hannibal. They talk about Livy all the time. And they take lessons in every one of these steps. The altar, Saguntum, New Carthage, Saguntum, the elephants, the Alps. There's metaphors all over the place. But I want you to think of the metaphors. There may be ways that most people would never think to attack the empire. I mean, Rome wasn't an empire at this time, but you know what I'm saying. There may be ways that are possible, but no one's done it because it's too difficult. Maybe we try it. And it's going to be young people. You know, Hamilcar is like, no, we're not doing that. Hannibal's like, yeah, we really are. What are the Alps between us and resting control of the government away from the corrupt degenerates that have it now. What are the Alps? Right, what are the elephants? Seriously, I'm not being funny. What, what are things that we think, ah, this will make a good thing, but it's not really, given the situation. In, in Africa, it made a, you know, flat Africa, it made good sense. It doesn't make a lot of sense to take elephants across the Alps. Elephants were great in their narrow use, but as a wider uh, weapon, not so much. we got to apply these lessons, guys. All right. So, Hannibal, they, Scipio arrived three days late to catch Hannibal before he crossed the Rhone. Scipio arrives. He's like, I'm here to see Hannibal. Is Hannibal in? Hannibal, we... I don't know who Hannibal is. He's about this high. Probably got blood on his hands. Stomps his feet a lot. Something. Thunder and lightning. Maybe had a, a sleigh and some reindeer. No? Uh -uh, never mind. So the Alps, he misses him. And Hannibal is heading up the Alps, baby. We're doing this. He, he went to REI. Got, got him some North Face. 
gear, some Patagonia. He's like, we're doing this in style. But they had no idea how difficult it was going to be to cross the Alps. But they found out. Now, Livy writes about the reaction of Hannibal's troops. Now, they'd heard stories about the Alps and what, you know, what goes on up there, how cold, etc. I'm just going to, normally I wouldn't read to you, but I'm going to read to you from this edition of Livy. Uh, this is actually just, this is the whole book is about the war with Hannibal, the Second Punic War, okay? So this is the Penguin Classics Edition, uh, the war with Livy, the war with Hannibal, it's all that. So I'm going to read to you, it's book 21, and it's uh, section 32. Now, story time. Oops, I can't let that go. Story time with Uncle Joey. Hannibal advanced toward the Alps mainly through open country and reached the foothills without encountering any opposition from the local tribes. The, na the nature of the mountains was not, of course, unknown to his men by rumor and report, and rumor commonly exaggerates the truth. True, you know, true. Yet in this case... All the tales were eclipsed by the reality. The dreadful vision now before their eyes, the towering peaks, the snow-clad pinnacles soaring to the sky, the rude huts clinging to the rocks, beasts and cattle shriveled and parched with cold, the people with their wild and ragged hair, all nature, animate and inanimate, stiff with frost. All this and other sights, the horror of which words cannot express, gave a fresh edge to their apprehension. So Livy's like, you know how people, rumor usually exaggerates the truth. I'm gonna have a beverage right now, a beverage brought to you today by Ozark Trail, AKA Fake Yeti, or Yeti for the poor. still works though I mean unless you want oh, I've got a Yeti I mean it's like people who buy a Stanley or whatever mm. always goes down a treat so yes rumor is usually exaggerate exaggerates the truth but in this case Livy says oh no it didn't even come close to adequately describing the reality frozen Cliff, you know, cliffs, narrow passages, cliffs, people just wild, unknown to them, animals just frozen, everything frozen, beasts, just the wind, the, if you've ever been, I mean, I've been high in the Alps, never been to the top, but I've been pretty high in the Alps when I was a kid, hiking. the wind is insane, it's so, it cuts right through you, and these guys are from Africa, man. Yes, Northern Africa, but still, they were not accustomed to this. And as it says, gave a fresh edge to their apprehension. Now the soldiers are like, we were not really thrilled when we thought, when we believed what people had said about it. Now that we're up here, we're less thrilled about this. So, again, Apply it to yourselves, yeah.
what's going to happen? Don't you think we'll come and we'll see the, we'll be afraid? Don't you think in your own battle, when you're crossing these Alps, it may be a great idea because no one's done it and it's difficult and you may be able to do it as Hannibal, spoiler alert, did. But don't you think that when you're doing that thing, there are going to be those scenes that frighten you? It's at those moments you're going to have to do, you're going to have to be steadfast and immovable. You're going to have to have that unshakable, unshakable strength, that indefatigable belief in your cause, the good old cause, right? Because in the Alps that you cross, that's going to happen. So it wasn't like there wasn't reason to worry. As they climbed higher, uh, snow became deeper, ledges became narrower, and hundreds of men and I think two-thirds of the elephants fell off, just fell to their death. I'm not kidding. So hundreds of men, about two dozen elephants, it's just frozen, slippery, cold, narrow ledge, etc. Livy tells us that Hannibal's crossing of the Alps, hurry up the story, Joey, hurry up, come on, boy, took 15 days. I just get excited and I want y'all to learn how to apply this to yourselves. I'm worried that you're just like, this story, what, who cares? You know, care, man. Care. These stories are being told so that those of you who will be involved in this struggle yourselves personally you'll know these things and you'll say okay we got to cross the alps i better prepare my men for what is going to face us because it's worse than we've imagined all right those the corrupt and degenerate people that control government they're just not going to hand you government they're not going to say you know what you make a good argument we're tyrants we're stepping down and the rumors of how degenerate and corrupt the reality will be worse. Learn that. So he comes out of the river, out of the Alps, comes out. He makes it. He makes it through. Uh, took 15 days. Uh, Livy reports he lost 36,000 men. 36,000 men lost going across the Alps. And like I told you, most of the elephants. He comes out on the plains by the Po River. And guess who's waiting for him? Dum da da dum, Scipio. His name does start with S. Be cool if he had like a thing. Anyway, the Roman Senate recalled the armies from all around. Wherever you are, Roman armies, they weren't a standing army, right? They weren't a permanent army. These are guys that are farmers and tradesmen. But when Rome is attacking or being attacked, so we re they recalled them. The Senate said, "Everybody back home. Rome itself, Italy is under attack. Everybody home, right?" So they come home, and despite, now you've got, oh, Hannibal is the man. Comes across the Alps, gets down to the Po, the plains, you know, there by the Po River. And again, if I were a professional podcast, I'd say, this is the Po River. That's the Po River. I, I don't know where, the, it's the Po. Po. Not poor river, Po. It really is P-O. Not poor. Not like I'm saying, because someone said, your southern accent comes out these days. Anywho, Poe River. Scipio's waiting there. Now, 
despite the fact that for 15 days and losing 36,000 men and most of his elephants, Hannibal just lays a whooping on him. I mean, just whoops him. Old-fashioned paddle whooping. Bell, you know, just, hey, man, just whooping him. Scipio is like, oh, no. So he runs back to Rome and says, Hannibal. And they're like, okay, give him what he needs. So Hannibal, Hannibal chases Scipio about a month later. So Hannibal's like, no, we're not going to let you just go to Rome and get chase him. They just spent 15 days, lost 36,000 men. And Hannibal's like, put the beat down on them in their first attack. So Scipio is hightailing it for Rome to get, you know, to get reinforcements. And Hannibal's like, follow him. And they do. They chase him for about a month. They come together. And now they have both consuls. Remember, there were two every year. All right. Two new consuls every year. The armies of both consuls. Parel. Parel. Hannibal puts the beat down on them. The man is unstoppable. At this point, Livy says, Romans in Rome, inside the city of Rome, were afraid that any day now, Hannibal and the Carthaginians are just going to burst in, just knock the doors down and, Lucy, I'm home. You know, that kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? 1950s reference. Anyway, Livy does tell something funny. I want to, Livy, and, and if you want to look it up, it's uh, book 21, section 57. Livy says parents in Rome would use Hannibal coming and taking them hostage and slave as a threat to kids who wouldn't go to sleep at night. So can you imagine that? It's like, Marcus, Antonius, What? What are you doing? I'm playing Grand Theftus Automus. Well, it's time to go to bed. I'll go when I'm finished playing my game. You'll go now or Hannibal will come and take you in the night as a slave. <laughs> Fine. <I'm go> <laughs> he literally said that. That parents would scare their kids into going to bed. What would we do today? I don't, I don't know. Like, If you don't go to bed... <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Somebody would go. I don't know. I shouldn't say anything. By 217 BC, Hannibal was just moving through, like a hand just moving through. Like if you took risk board and put all the little armies, and then you just took your hand and went. Or you see those movies of like World War II, and they've got the little like long sticks with the curved piece at the end, like the crescent shaped thing at the end, where they're moving. Like, that was it. Hannibal was just moving the Romans out of Italy, just plowing them down. Plowing them down. Now, a year later, there's two new consuls, remember? Two new ones every year. And one of them, Gaius Flaminius, meets Hannibal at Lake Trasimene, which still exists also in Italy. Lake, like a lake would stop it. Well, I guess it could, but it's still there, Lake Trasimene. Gaius Flaminius meets Hannibal at Lake Trasimene, and Hannibal and his army kill 15,000 Roman soldiers. 
Now, if they were scared before, I, I mean, can you imagine when the word comes back, how'd we do? Hey, how'd that go at Lake Trazamine? Did y'all catch anything? I mean, did you beat Hannibal? Nike, like, you know, Battle of Marathon, Nikkei, we what? What's the opposite of Nikkei? Adidas? Adidas. Or, no, sorry, Adidas. So instead of Nike, you know, like the Battle of Marathon, he's like, Adidas. I don't, it's not the opposite. Reebok, I don't know, who cares? They lost 15,000 soldiers at the Battle of Lake Trasimene. And now the Romans are like, oh my goodness, all right, oh my goodness. So, at this time, Rome feels like it's in clear and present danger. Immediate threat to the city of Rome. So you all, because you've listened to all my podcasts slash watched all my podcasts, you know what the government of Rome did. What did the Senate do when they felt a, a clear and present immediate threat to the city of Rome? That's right, they appointed dictator Quintus Fabius Maximus Concator. He had a six month, remember, six months could be renewed to a year, right? Remember all that? RGC taking care of business, TCB mama. He decided that the best strategy, now this is Fabius, so Quintus Fabius Maximus, he decides. The best way to do this is to not take on Hannibal in a battle. I, I don't want to do that. Why, why are we going to keep losing? Scipio, Gaius Flaminius, bunch of other people? No. I'm the dictator. So remember, he was in charge of the armies, and th his word was law for those six months. Right? So he's like, what I'm going to do is just do these like little short attacks just to n annoy him, make him chase us. And I'm going to keep him chasing us around Italy. Because why? Because Hannibal is a long way from home. And if he's going to get reinforcements, guess where they're coming from? Carthage. Well, that's going to take, even across the Mediterranean, that's going to take a minute. I'm going to exhaust this man's supplies. I'm going to just delay going to battle until his supplies are at such a, a depleted level that we have a shot of beating him in open combat. That was Fabius's genius idea, and it was actually pretty smart, right? Now, this delay tactic to this day, if you study military history to this day, to this very day, that is called a Fabian tactic in honor of Quintus Fabius. It's called the Fabian tactic is just delay, 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 delay until your enemy is nearly exhausted and then punch, right? And it helps when your enemy is a long way from home and his supplies must come from a long way. George Washington was known as the American Fabius because why? He that after a while he recognized, right? He was known as the American Fabius because he's like, look, they got to get stuff from England. 
this whole confronting them head on, not going the way we'd want. Let's do surprise attacks. Let's do short little bursts and let's just keep them running. All right. So guerrilla tactics was the one, you know, it's like short, small armies, guerrilla, not guerrilla. I've seen people like smart people write guerrilla to like, like the ape. Now this is guerrilla, meaning small war, right? Latin, or in this case, Spanish, small war, guerrilla, guerrilla, as we say it in English. These small, just boom, 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 just little strikes here and there. But keep them running, right? Keep them running. And then he would also do scorched earth, which is, you know, he would just like leave them nothing. As they came on the run, as he went, he would destroy everything that they could possibly use to reinforce themselves in Italy. Scorched earth policy, guerrilla tactics. All right. So a year later, two consuls are like, all right, we've done this for a couple of years, right? Let's, let's just, let's go. Let's meet him. We've done it. We've, we've delayed him. We've worn him down. Let's take him on. So they go to the battle of Cannae and can I please hear about... (laughs) So they go to the Battle of Cannae, and the Carthaginians destroy the armies of the consuls. Destroy them. I mean, laid a whooping on them. Hannibal, this guy, cannot be beaten. Cannot. Was not, in fact. I mean, until much later. Can I? They're like, the consuls are like, fine, we've done this for two years. We've worn this man down. Let's do this. Let's all in. All in. Both consuls, the full might of Rome that they could collect over the past two years. Get them in there, late can I? And just right in the mouth. Hannibal's is like, oh, just right in the mouth. This is bloody Rome, right? Now I want to read you. From Livy, Hannibal's reaction to the victory at Cannae. Now this, again, if you have ears to hear. So, he, his officers are surrounding him, giving, congratulations, you did it, Hannibal, you're the best. So there was a guy, Maharbal, Maharbal, again, not my fault, that's, his, that's on his mama. He said, sir, if you want to know the true significance of this battle, remember, he just destroyed both armies, I mean, all of the armies of Rome, both consuls, all the... He's, he's there. Rome is his, right? Re- really. Rome now belongs to Hannibal if he wants it. Sir, if you want to know the true significance of this battle, let me tell you that within five days, you can eat your dinner in triumph on the Capitoline Hill. He's like, Hannibal, listen to me, man. There's not, nothing standing between us now. In five days... You can be eating dinner inside the Senate Hall. Literally. He says, I'll go and I'll take care of what's left and we'll, you know, he's like, uh, we'll soften the beach for you and in five days this thing is yours. To Hannibal, this seemed too sanguine a hope, a project too great to be in the circumstances wholly conceivable. 
I commend your zeal, he said to Maharbal, but I need time to weigh the plan which you, which you propose. And Maharbal, you can kind of see him sighing. He's like, Assuredly, Maharbal replied, no man, no one man has been blessed with all God's gifts. You know how to win a fight, Hannibal, but you don't know how to use your victories. It is generally believed that that day's delay was the salvation of the city of Rome and of the empire. Five days we can get you there, man. And he's like, I don't, there's no way I can actually win in Rome. All right. But it did. Now, long story short, Scipio, decide, they decide the only thing to do is to quit even fighting Hannibal and go take the war to Carthage and make them recall Hannibal, which is what they do. And then Hannibal ends, off, ends up facing off against Scipio at the Battle of Zama, and the Romans won. And Scipio and the armies of Rome absolutely crept Carthage. Now, they had called Hannibal home, so Hannibal, there he is. Battle of Zama, Z-A-M-A, if you want to read about it. Battle of Zama. They tried to work it out diplomatically. They meet. Uh, um, Livy says, yeah, that didn't work out. He's like, uh, negotiations failed, and the two generals returned to their army. That The news that the negotiations had been in vain, and the issue must be decided by blows. So, now, once again, all Carthage bases are belong to Rome, and you may be saying, Joey, that was all a swell story. What does that have to do? I think I've explained what it has to do, what you should be learning from Hannibal, all of this war, the Second Punic War. I think you've learned. Hannibal, you know how to win, but you don't know how to use your victories. You have all these gifts, man. You could be eating in Rome in five days. Mm, that's too good to be true. Don't let that imposter syndrome get up in your head, man. When you're winning, learn how to use your victories. Deposit that capital. Yeah? Because you'll need to draw on it later. So, it comes down to the fact that Carthage was defeated. Rome punished her severely, making it impossible for the people of Rome ever to recover their liberty. And they were to remain thereafter subject to Rome. But you see, they could have prevented this. The people of Carthage. The government of Carthage could have prevented this. The people of Carthage. The government. And this is what I want to end with. Do you remember that phrase I told you about the founding fathers used to use in the Romans? Principis obstas. Stop it when, you, when it first appears. Well, we can't do that. But we can stop it when we first learn about it, right? We can't stop the tyranny when it started because we'd have to go back in time. But we can start it when we learn of it, guys. Okay? So, I'm going to read to you the last message that Hannibal delivers to the Senate of Carthage as they are reading aloud the terms of surrender. It's powerful. It's timeless, and sadly, it is timely. So, let his words be a warning to us, lest someday we find ourselves wishing we had fought back, but being left like the Carthaginians, unable to. Here you go, from Livy. 
Exhausted by a long war with Rome and with harsh terms of peace imposed upon them, senators of Carthage sat weeping with regret. On this occasion, Hannibal laughed, and a senator rebuked Hannibal for laughing while the people mourned their great loss of liberty and property. And Hannibal replied, The time to cry was when our weapons were taken from us, when our right to travel was denied us. The government of Rome had no desire to let us live peacefully, for such a government never seeks lasting peace. A government grown large will create an enemy at home if it lacks one abroad. How true it is that we only feel the loss of liberty when it affects our private interests. How it always takes a loss of our money to feel the effect. So when others were being stripped of their property and their weapons, none of you complained. But now when it's your property and your weapons, you behave like mourners at your country's funeral. All too soon I fear you will realize that our liberty died long ago. There was no funeral and there was no one there to mourn her. Let it not be so. Thank you guys. Thank <laughs> you.